You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 393 of this podcast. Today is May 19th, 2022, also a Thursday, and it's my first day off after seven on. I am off for seven days, but I am not quite all there still. Seven days is uh, a, it's a, it's a nice stretch to be off. Uh, seven days can get to be a bit uh, wearying when it's seven days straight working. So I am just beginning my rest cycle and excited about what we've got planned for the end of this week off. Lauren and I are actually going to go and I don't know where we'll go actually, truth be told, we need to talk about that today, but uh, we're going to go somewhere and uh, just get away for uh, a day and a night and enjoy just one another's company and kind of do a reset and uh, a recycle big thanks to kate bergman for offering luke and kate bergman uh just a major blessing in our lives so happy to know them and the kids will have a great time which is definitely also nice that's nice when it works out that way (laughs) but in this episode i want to talk about not Wokeness and Christianity. The last two episodes were book reviews. You can go back and check those out if you want to. I did one book review of Dr. Eric Mason's Woke Church. I did another one of Owens Tracon's Christianity and Wokeness. Read those books over this past weekend and then reviewed both books. Uh, This is a subject I like to talk a lot about, but I think it would be good to return to the general topic of counsel and plans, and planning. Now, as many of you may know, in the past few weeks, my wife and I have been discussing how do we plan for the direction that the economy is going. Obviously, there are forces at work that are outside of our control that we can't directly affect, not in a meaningful way. What will be, will be, and God is sovereign, we are not. God is omnipotent, we are not. God is omniscient, we are not. We know in part, and we prophesy in part. When I say prophesy, I don't mean necessarily in the foretelling vein. I mean in the testifying to the truth of what God has said. We, we prophesy in part, we study his word, and even what we study, diligent as we uh, may want to be, we don't always fully understand and comprehend or apply as uh, well as we might. But thank God for God's grace that we can make plans, we can seek godly counsel, we can pray, we can ask God for wisdom. James says that God gives wisdom generously to all who lack wisdom and ask for wisdom. He gives generously to all, anyone, God sends his reins on the just and the unjust, and he gives wisdom to both his children who are part of the household of faith 
and also those who are outside. Although, if you're going to go and ask God in faith, believing that he'll give you wisdom, uh, maybe, just maybe, the wisdom (laughs) he will give you will be uh, to follow Jesus, to believe in Jesus. Uh, that's, that's a, that would be really wise. That, that's a really good idea. Start there, right? Start there. But he has given us his word, and we believe that God's word is perfect, infallible, inspired. You know, there's all of these authors who wrote down the books of what we refer to as the New Testament and the Old Testament. All of these human authors that each had their own personalities, they each had their own context, they had their own temperament, they had their own life stage that they were in, particular circumstances, particular contexts, and particular gifts, and also particular roles and purposes. You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and one of the ways that God consistently works throughout Old Testament and New Testament is through his people. He works through his people. Sometimes he works independently of his people to demonstrate to his people his goodness, his sovereignty, the fact that he is sovereign of all creation, he's Lord of all creation. There's nothing that quite communicates that, like suspending some of the laws of the universe just to show that you can, just because you can. Hey, can you do this? <laughs> it's as if God's saying, hey, watch this, you know, but you can't do that, you know. And, and we can't. And there's a humility piece that should come with realizing the contrast between us and God. And there's also a assurance. There is a peace that passes all understanding when we present our requests to God with prayer and thanksgiving instead of being anxious. Scriptures say, be anxious for nothing and fear not all throughout Old Testament and New Testament. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. It's like every time we're reading about something we could potentially fear other than God, the admonition is to not, to not to. Don't, don't be afraid. But with God, we should be afraid in a healthy, respectful way, not in a terrified way. If we're terrified of God, well, that may be an indication that we are not in a right relationship with him. We need to believe in his son and be made right with the father. But even when we are, it's wise and it's the beginning of wisdom to have a healthy fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's not the end, right? See, for something to have a beginning, that implies that there's more. But wait, there's more. So you fear God and you keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. We also read in the scriptures. Fear God and keep his commandments. But what are his commandments? And also, when it comes to, more broadly, what wisdom entails, yes, it's well that we abide by what James talks about when he says, don't boast in your arrogance. Boasting about your plans to go to this or that city and live there for a year and work and make a profit, boasting in your arrogance is evil. And there's lots of reasons for that. But focus with me for just a moment on the fact that what is not being rebuked there is making plans. 
I used to think when I was younger, when I was in my early 20s, I used to think that even just to have plans is unspiritual and ungodly. And God wants us to have only the plan to serve him and obey him. But wait a second. Okay, like let's say that's your plan. Your plan is to obey him. What about when he tells us to provide for the needs of our household? You know, take for instance, and I've talked about this in recent episodes, where Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream about seven years of plenty, which will be followed by seven years of famine. What is the point of interpreting those dreams except that preparations need to be made for the seven years of famine? That means planning. You have to plan. Planning and preparation go hand in hand. You don't prepare when there's no plan. And why would you plan if you're not going to get prepared? Prepared to act out the plan that you have. So all of this not only can be true, it it must be. It should be true at the same time. And I would say that when it comes to boasting about plans, it's no more the case that we should give up on plans just because some people are tempted to boast in their plans then it is the case that we should give up on food because some people eat food with a wrong attitude or that we should give up on rest because some people are lazy. You know, take for instance, me coming off of seven days on, I have not been idle. Now I've been sitting a lot, but I've been working and my brain is tired. That's one of the crazy things about this line of work that I find myself in right now is it is very mentally challenging, sometimes because of how many things can be going on all at the same time and how many people are calling you, emailing you. You get halfway through a task and then you got to switch tasks, but you got to remember where you left off when you pick it back up again. You got to have notes that you can use as breadcrumbs to get back to where you left off when there's a a lull and there's a, a gap between phone calls and emails and Teams messages. But it's good to work hard. It's also profoundly healthy and wise to rest and to make plans to rest. But I want to talk more specifically about plans and biblically, how should we think about our plans? What does the Bible say about plans? How should that frame this subject where it relates to wisdom and godliness? So to start off with, let's take a look at Psalm 1, 1 through 6. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now take note here. Take Special note of this word, in the council. In the council, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the council of the wicked. 
And what is that talking about? In the council, is that a place? Is that like all of the wicked people have a club that they just, you know, they meet every Monday night about 8 p.m. just down the street and uh, they conspire together what awful, evil, no good, rotten things they're going to do in the coming week. No, of course not. That's not what this is talking about. What it's talking about is those passing opportunities that you have as you're going about your day, you weigh in on something and a person who doesn't know God, who mocks those who do love God and believe in God, someone like that decides to weigh in on your, as they think of it, naivety, ignorance, folly, stupidity. They want to weigh in and say, ah, that's ridiculous. Nah, that's dumb. That's stupid. You know what you need to do? And then you're off to the races. And what follows is probably going to be something amoral and very shrewd. If they're in your corner, because they kind of might be, they might be thinking there's an advantage to be gained from giving you advice that's beneficial to you. And now you're going to be co-conspirators on some future plan that benefits them. Or they might be trying to take advantage of you. They're trying to set you up and entrap you. But look at this. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't take their advice and base your life around what they think is a really great idea. You don't walk in their counsel. Blessed is the man. That word blessing has to do with increase. Profit. Think, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Profit. Is it beneficial? Is it going to increase your health, happiness, joy? May your joy be complete. Those are all measures. You have to, in order to know that there's an increase, you have to be working with something that you can have more or less of. It's not simple you either have it or you don't. It's something that you have a quantity of. This is kind of like the difference between digital inputs and outputs and analog inputs and outputs. So I work in oil and gas and I work in instrumentation and controls and automation. And there's two, I guess, primary types of values. There's more besides, but there's two primary that we work with most often. One is what's known as a digital value. That's ones and zeros. It's either a one or a zero. It's either on or it's off. It's either open or it's closed. It's either in a good condition or it's in a bad condition. There's no in-betweensies. There's no, like when you're dealing with it, digital inputs and outputs, you, there's never a situation in which you get a 0.5. It's either a zero or a one. But analog, on the other hand, always comes with a scale. You have to scale your units. So let's say we're dealing with a pressure transmitter and you're trying to measure how much pressure is inside of this pipe. This pipe is filled with gas, let's say, for instance. And that pipe, even though it's made out of metal, it can only take so much pressure. There are scenarios in which if you put too much pressure on it, it could rupture, it could crack, it could explode even, even though it's made of metal. So what you have to do, you have to monitor the pressure. And in the old days, they did this with analog pressure gauges, but now 
in addition to analog manual pressure gauges where the dial just moves along these little tick marks, you also have these electronic pressure transmitters. And let's say just for the sake of the example, you've got a pressure transmitter that is supposed to alarm at 500 PSI. 500 PSI and we are in danger. Don't want to go any higher than that. If we hit 500 PSI, it's going to trigger a shutdown. It's going to close that valve over there. We're going to stop flow and send out a text alert, cause a little status to come up on somebody's screen or their phone to come across their emails. But you're going to have to go out there and investigate, see what's going on, what's happening. Well, that pressure transmitter, it's an analog value because it's not either is there pressure or is there no pressure. You need to know how much pressure is there and also how much pressure can this thing take and still be safe or productive, right? So what you do want is you do want productivity. I do want gas to travel down this pipe. And so you can have low pressure alarms as well, where if it drops below, let's say five PSI, that will also shut a valve. That will also send out an alarm and an alert. Because what might've happened is you might've had some kind of a break and there's no pressure inside because it's all just spraying out. But again, it's not a, a digital thing. It might be upstream of a digital on, off, open, close, alarm, or clear state. But that pressure is going to be an analog value. And let's say I'm trying to control this process, keep it safe, keep it productive, and my shutdown's at 500. Well, very odd uh, circumstances would see you getting the just highest, highest pressure rated uh, scaling transmitter that money can buy. You don't need it and nor do you want it. You want a more sensitive, closer to what you're actually going to be measuring uh, typically, controlling typically, scale. So you might, you know, if your shutdown's at a thousandth, you might go for a 2,000 pound or a 3,000 pound transmitter. If your shutdown's at 500, you might go for a 1,000, you still could go for a two or 3,000 pound scale, but the point being, past a certain point, it might not be a blessing. Under a certain point, it might not be a blessing. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers? Consider too. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Well, that sounds pretty good, right? (laughs) Like, that sounds all right. Like, that sounds like something you would want. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the wicked, the way of the wicked, will perish. Moving on further into Psalms, chapter 14, verse 6, and I quote, You would shame the plans of the poor, but Yahweh is his refuge. Now this word plans, or what is translated into English as plans, in Hebrew is the word etzah. It is variously translated as consultation, counselor, counselors, counsels, designs, plan, plans, purpose, schemes, and strategy. So I look at this. Right? I look at this list of potential translations into English. 
And I think to myself, of course, it's going to be context, right? It's going to be context that decides whether etza is translated as counselors or schemes, whether it translates into strategy or purpose. But that is to say, context matters for us too. It is not wrong that the righteous would prosper, that they would be benefited, they would be blessed. No, actually, that's partly, not totally, but in part, a reason to believe in God, to trust in God. All throughout the scriptures, there's a benefit, there's a blessing. And also, too, it is a statement about God's character, that he gives good gifts, or else, what else would the purpose be? What would what would be the point of knowing that our Father in heaven is a good Father who gives good gifts? What else is the purpose except, one, you like good gifts? Hey, let me tell you about my Creator and yours too, who you might not know. What else is the point except to say, our God is good. So I reason that it is good for us to be glad that God gives good gifts, to not be embarrassed, to not be ashamed, to not be apologetic, to not feel guilty. But if God wants us to have a good gift, then it is good for us to view the gift and the giver as good and to be glad. That's positive. That's proper. That's appropriate. That's healthy. Also, for the poor to have plans, to have purpose, is good. The Lord is his refuge. You would shame the plans of the poor. Now that's a funny word choice. That's a funny turn of phrase. Very often the scoffers and the sinners and the wicked will, when they try and give you bad advice, bad plans, bad suggestions to go in with them in doing a wicked thing, doing an evil thing, very often they'll start with mocking the fact that you love the Lord. You fear him and you trust him. They'll start with mocking you and making fun of you. It's been said that the surest, fastest way to get somebody to change their behavior is to laugh at them. Mocking your political opponents is a quick way to, if not change their minds, take away some of their power, some of the power that they have over their followers or the fear that they strike into the hearts of their opponents. Psalm 24, and that is Psalm chapter 20, verse 4. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May he fulfill all your plans. Huh, that's a blessing? That sounds like a blessing, that God would grant us our heart's desire and fulfill all our plans. And it doesn't mean that the Lord is owing that to us, we are not entitled to it, but that would be a prayer of blessing for someone that we love, some, someone that we care about, someone that we want to do well. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. I hope that the Lord brings this thing to pass that you hope will happen, that you want. I think what you want is a good thing. I'll be praying that you get this good thing because I love you and because God loves you. Proverbs, moving on from Psalms to Proverbs. Chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. 
There are six things that Yahweh hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So here we see wicked plans. A heart, though. See, it's not the plans themselves per se that God hates. I'm sure he's not a fan, but it's the heart. The heart (laughs) that devises those wicked plans that he hates. And they're an abomination to him. He hates hearts that devise wicked plans. So you've read, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, so also, out of the abundance of the heart, your plans. You make plans according to what's in your heart. What is your heart's desire? If your heart's desire is for good, godly, honorable things that the Lord is pleased by, that the Lord God as a good father is known to give to his children, which he tells us to desire. Well, great. God doesn't hate that. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans, your plans. So let's just read the entirety, actually, of Psalm 20. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Yahweh, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Would you look at that? Now, this is one of the reasons why I'm not always so sure about the special emphasis, the Reformed crowd, kinship though I have with the Reformed crowd. I'm not always so sure that the emph- about the emphasis that many in the Reformed crowd place on total depravity to where anything you want at all, ever, is wicked, evil, sinful, awful. All of the desires of your heart are just... No good, rotten, evil, wicked. Really? Really? Irrespective of everything else. Focusing only on the fact that we have a sinful nature. Yes, I'm not so sure. But a lot of the Reformed crowd that I know who have very strict Reformed theology, they struggle with this. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. It's like they flinch. (laughs) Like, if you were to say it, they would raise a point of objection. If it's in Psalm chapter 20, 
they just kind of shift uncomfortably in their seat. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have a really hard time with that because I take total, I, I take total depravity to mean even when sometimes the language is perhaps a touch, given the context, a touch hyperbolic. And there must be such a thing as the righteous in order for us to read in God's word about the righteous. There must indeed be such a thing as depravity since we read about depravity in the scriptures. But there must be some kind of context in which this could be a blessing that we rightly speak into the lives of our brothers and sisters, of our wives and our children, or if you're a lady, into the lives of your husbands. May we shout for joy over your salvation. Oh, okay, well, let's see, this is talking about eternal salvation. That's got to be what your heart's desire is. Fulfill all your plans. Well, maybe that, yes, sure, okay. Does it have to be only that? You know, there's imagery here of chariots and horses and rising and standing upright. There's talk of banners, and it sounds as though an enemy is on the way to attack you, but God fights for you. He sees to your practical needs. He takes care of you. You know, if you find out a vicious enemy is coming with an army filled with chariots and horsemen, angry, all perturbed, obviously thinking they've got a chance, otherwise they wouldn't be coming for you. So probably in some strength, with some cunning, some decent weaponry, you hear that they're on their way. Your heart's desire is to not get slaughtered. Let's start with that. A guy that I work with, great, great guy. Just super great. Alex, if you're listening, I love you, brother. Like you just, you're, you're a major encouragement and a godsend to me. And I uh, really appreciate working with you. But Alex, I think it was yesterday morning, actually, came into the office and kind of did the fist bump thing. Like, hey, good morning. How's it going? I said, oh, it's going pretty well. How are you? He's like, oh, I'm alive. I'm like, <laughs> Well, it's a good start. (laughs) You got to start somewhere. Start with being alive. But it's the truth. I mean, in the context of somebody coming to attack you, an enemy army coming to attack you and your people, your heart's desire might be, uh, let's start with not getting murdered by this army. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. That's pretty great. Proverbs 15.22, here's another one. Here's another good context. Here's another good perspective on plans. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So this is actually the Hebrew word sod. It can be translated as counsel or counsel. Counsel as in like the actual place where counselors meet or counsel as in their advice given. It is translated variously throughout the Old Testament as circle, company, consultation, counsel, fellowship, friendship, gathering, intimate, plans, secret, secret counsel, and just plain secrets. So something in confidence, something that is asked about a private matter that you really need some ideas for how to attend to and deal with. 
maybe something high stakes, something dangerous, something risky, something you really want to handle well the first time because you might not have a second chance. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, why do you need many advisors? Riddle me this. I mean, this is something that's been up on uh, our to-do list, our topic list, quite a lot here lately. But this question of what do you do with godly counsel? Yes, you should seek it out. But what do you do when you're given godly counsel? Particularly from somebody who's in a position of authority. You know, maybe they, they don't necessarily have direct command authority over you in every detail, just in a certain sphere. Like, let's say, a pastor. A pastor's not really supposed to be telling you, as my friend and pastor Paul Pavlik said in a recent sermon, whether it's okay for you to go out and buy a Snickers bar today or whether you need to go out and buy a Twix bar instead. You know, that's really not the purview of the pastor. That's not his domain. That's an overreach. There are different spheres of authority in life which God has instituted, kind of like three branches of government. You have multiple branches of authority that come from God. You have the civil authorities who do not bear the sword for nothing, as you read in Romans 13. You also have ecclesiastical authorities, which we read about qualifications for in Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus. You have authority within the home. You know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. So you have these different spheres of authority, and it's not appropriate for the civil authorities to come into the church and start dictating what of God's word can and cannot be preached, what of God's word can and cannot be obeyed. That's not appropriate. So also, it's not appropriate for the church to come into the home and say, like, ah, okay, like, you now, husband, have permission to call your wife from work once a week, but no more. No, that's just, that's silly. But on the flip side, let's say you're just trying to figure out like a good principle for how often to talk with your wife while you're working. And so you seek godly counsel from some authority in the church, Sunday school teacher, deacon, elder, pastor, whatever. So you ask for advice. Well, you get advice and the advice is not just, hey, practically do this, but it's also reasonings and rationales and principles and observations and questions and challenges and critiques and things like that. And let's say you get counsel, but you were expecting better counsel. Let's be honest. You get counsel, and the counsel's kind of not lame like uncool, but lame like, really? That doesn't seem like good counsel, actually. That seems, that seems like that's really risky or bound to be unfruitful. I think I'm, I'm going to ask for a second opinion from someone else. You know, we do this with doctoring. You go to a doctor and you get a very bad diagnosis. And then you ask, okay, well, doc, like what can be done about it? Nothing. I'm sorry. Nothing can be done about it. Really? Well, no offense. I'm going to go ask another doctor. (laughs) I want to see what they say. Because it's kind of a big deal to me whether something can be done about this serious medical condition. I'm going to go get a second opinion. You know, and it, it doesn't mean that the first doctor has no wisdom, 
knows nothing. I mean, they can get all huffy and be like, oh, I've been practicing medicine for 20 years. Do you know where I got my degree from, my medical degree from? Do you know who I've practiced medicine with? It's irrelevant, guy. Dr. No. (laughs) The end is what it was when I saw it in your counsel in the first place. The end does not suddenly become to appease your ego. And actually, if your ego is just that fragile, and maybe just maybe, it's all the more reason for me to get a second opinion from somebody who, on further thought, might not have a dog in this fight the way that you do now. But that, and really, like this is, <laughs> this is the thing about Proverbs 15.22 that is uh, easy to pass over too quickly. If I... I'm dealing with a really, really important question, a really big decision coming up. Big, big, big. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask this friend of mine, who I really, really respect, his wisdom and discernment regarding X subject. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to ask this friend whose experience I will never have, but gives him a lot of insight into this aspect of the decision. And then I'm going to go and ask this family member who knows me really well, and I don't have to do a whole bunch of explaining context and background and all that. They already know all that because they know me. And I'm going to ask them for their advice. And so on and so forth. And I might ask, like, on a really important decision, I might ask four or five people on average. And I've got a short list. So if you've ever been asked for advice on an important decision in my life. Congratulations. You are you are one of the few, the proud, and the, we'll say brave, if <laughs> you were asked more than once and didn't just say like, nope, no, 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 no. <laughs> I have a tendency, by the way, with regards to counsel, with regards to advice, I have a tendency to listen to counsel that is of the observations uh, variety and to, if not ignore, uh, so heavily modify and overhaul the specific practical side of the advice that uh, it, you can't recognize it anymore you know, from what was originally given. You know, I, what I might want is uh, like going back to an oil and gas <laughs> analogy here. You know, I might want advice from you on the temperature of this situation. And I might, I might want advice from him based on the pressure involved. And I might want advice from her based on questions concerning like, hey, what's the max rating? You know, what's this thing rated for in terms of flow, temperature, level, pressure, chemicals, you know, is this going to just completely dissolve when it comes into contact with some acid? Like, hey, you know, do you know? Do you happen to know the metallurgy? All right, I'm going to ask her for some advice on that. And I'm going to ask this guy for some advice on, like, well, hey, like, from a more, uh, you know, optimization standpoint, like maybe it's not the end of the world, whether I choose any of these three options. They're all three safe. Not risking a, a explosion 
or anything crazy like that. But of these three options, you know, based on your experience, you know, am I having talked with this person, this person, this person, you know, like here's the three ways that I could go about handling this. And so, you know, option A, option B, option C, which do you think would be most likely the most profitable? They'll all three be profitable, I think, and safe, but which would be the most profitable, do you think, and why? You know, so so that's what this is talking about. You know, I, I throw a, a temperature sensor on a separator, and then I throw a level switch in that same separator, and then I throw a flow meter, electric throw, uh, a flow meter on that same vessel. I, you know, I, I might be getting a temperature reading from the flow meter, because that's part of how it's going to do its calculations. But I'm not necessarily doing the alarming off of the temperature from the flow meter. I'm probably going to have a separate device for that, a specifically dedicated temperature transmitter. So also, with many advisors, plans succeed because we're all finite creatures. This guy understands this really well. This guy understands this really well. This guy understands this really well. Even if you're talking about like a presidential uh, administration, you know, the cabinet, you're going to have, uh, let's say, Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense. And yes, they have to work together and they have to understand each other's purviews to some extent, but they're not necessarily going to be the same person. The best qualified candidate for Secretary of Defense is not necessarily the best qualified for Secretary of State and vice versa. Moving on, Proverbs 16.1. The plans of the heart belong to man and the answer of the tongue is from Yahweh. This Hebrew word is ma'arach, an arrangement, plans, preparation. Proverbs 16, 3, just two verses later. Commit your work to Yahweh and your plans will be established. Here's a different Hebrew word, ma'az'eh, a deed, work, translated also as accomplishments, achievements, acts, actions, activities, activity, art, business, Concern, conduct, deed, deeds, design, did, does, done, eventful, goods, just, labors, made, occupation, practices, sculptured, task, things versus vocation, what is done, what is made, work, work quota, working, workmanship, works, wrought, yield. You see a theme. Commit your work to Yahweh and your plans will be established. Well, this particular word that's used that is translated into English as plans is carrying with it a certain flavor. What are the kinds of plans that are going to be established when you commit your work to Yahweh? Your work plans. Work as unto the Lord? Well, he's going to establish your plans. He's going to make them successful. He's going to make you successful. Proverbs 16.9, just a little ways farther down in the same chapter. The heart of man plans his way, but Yahweh establishes his steps. Here is yet another Hebrew word. This one is kashab, to think, account. Also translated as accounting, calculate, composed, consider, considered, counted, counts, designer, determined, devise, devised, devises, devising, esteem, esteemed, execute, have, impute, intend, make, makers, meant, mindful, plan, planned, planning, plans, plotted, Pondered, purposed, reckoned, regard, regarded, regards, require an accounting, scheme, schemed, seem, skillful, skillful workmen, think, thought, value, 
feel like I'm reading Dr. Seuss, but there you have it. There's a whole different flavor to the Hebrew word that is translated into English, the same English word either way, but there's a whole different set of nuance and connotation here. It's not all the same. Just because you see plans here and plans there. Ooh, wait a second. Count, counted, counts, accounting, calculate, like measure. The heart of man plans his way. It's like when you're pulling up Google, and my wife and I, we will do this, Lord willing, the end of this week of days off. We'll figure out where we're going for our getaway, and we'll punch in the coordinates on Google Maps. And you know what it'll tell us? It'll tell us a couple things, not just, you know, okay, turn here, turn there, turn here, turn there. It'll also tell us what our ETA is. What time should I arrive based on the distance, my rate of travel, traffic, the route, speed limits along the way, the heart of man plans his way, calculating route, but the Lord, Yahweh, establishes his steps. So you can plan to get where you're going and the trip and which route you're going to take and how long it'll take for you to get there. You can count all that up. God will determine whether you do. A few more from the Proverbs, Proverbs 16.30. Whoever winks his eyes plans dishonest things. He who purses his lips brings evil to pass. This one reminds me of the show Lie to Me, which was a great show. Fantastic. Whoever winks his eyes, purses his lips, you're lying to me. You're trying to pull a fast one. You're ch- what, are you, what are you up to? Oh, nothing, nothing. No, no, no. And then they purse their lips. You're like, ah, okay, come clean. Fess up. I may not know what the truth is, but I know you're not telling it to me. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of Yahweh that will stand. You can plan whatever you want. Go for it. Make all the plans you like. At the end of the day, God willing, we will live and do this or that, as James says. Proverbs twenty eighteen: Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war, which I love. <sighs> Not that I love war, but I love analogies. <laughs> By wise guidance, wage war, life or death. This is important. This is a big deal. Men are going to fight and kill and lose their lives and take lives based on what you come up with here for your strategy. Establish it by seeking counsel, oversight, accountability, advice. You know, this is another thing that very often I have to do with my work. Very often. For 10 years, I'm trying to figure out problem or I am trying to improve something which needs improving I start asking other people who might have some ideas some insights I come up with a plan and I say hey what do you think do you think that'll work and if they say well what about this this and this oh yeah no I, I hadn't even thought of that that's a good point I am glad you mentioned that because you just saved me a ton of time I would have gotten underway and then realized that I forgot that. But by then it would have been just a huge waste. Undo what I had done the first way, possibly dangerous. Thank you. Good call. 
Plans are established by counsel, by wise guidance, wage war. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And this says, too, to my mind, certainly not the only passage, you don't need to apologize if you have an abundance. I mean, the, the Marxists and the coveters, and that's all communism is, it's just the politics of greed and discontentedness and coveting what belongs to your neighbor, But if you have an abundance because you've made good choices, you haven't cheated anybody, you haven't defrauded anybody, you've made wise investments, you've saved, you've earned, you've worked, you've invested well and wisely, you have an abundance because you've planned well, you planned ahead, you don't need to be embarrassed of that. You need to thank the Lord. Do honor him with what you've been given, with how he's blessed you. Be humble. Don't be arrogant. But so also, too, it's not something to aspire to, to be poor. Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And that's a bad thing. It's a bad thing. You don't want that. You don't want to be poor. Sometimes it just can't be helped. Because again, sometimes famines and wars and things like that outside of your purview and your scope happen around you, to you. But the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Lastly, for the purposes of this episode. Let's fast forward to the New Testament. And of course, I've been name dropping James throughout, but let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 24. 2 Corinthians. How about that? 2 Corinthians. By the way, as an aside, everybody who mocked <clears throat> former President Donald Trump for I think having said 2 Corinthians, wasn't it 2 Corinthians, in uh, one of his speeches, everybody who mocked him for that, there are places in the world, I'm pretty sure the UK, that's a common way to put it, that's a common way to say it, they do a lot of things differently, but that that is one of the ways that is not unusual. It doesn't belie uh, an absolute biblical illiteracy on the part of someone like former President Trump to say 2 Corinthians, so I'm just going to say it to mess with you for funsies, because it is fun. Paul writes in the first chapter of this second letter to the church in Corinth about a change of plans. So there's plans, and sometimes your plans need adjusting, and they need to be flexible, and you have to tweak them. But here's what Paul writes, starting in verse 12, going to verse 24. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. 
Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. So here, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians <laughs> 1, 12 through 24. No, not vacillating. No, not making my plans according to the flesh. Yes, no, yes, no, maybe so, all at the same time. Yes, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So we say amen. That's why we say amen. Because whatever he says yes to will be. It's always yes. But the, <laughs> the question might not have occurred to us to ask. Sometimes our plans miss important details because we are finite creatures. Now we can do well, be as wise as possible by fearing the Lord, studying his word, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. But this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from Dwight Eisenhower, former president also, uh, supreme commander of allied forces, during World War II. In preparing for battle, I have always found that plans are useless, but planning is indispensable. And this speaks really to the kind of plans that you make. You make plans that are flexible, plans that are adaptable as the situation unfolds, as the battle takes shape, as you get a clearer picture of what it is that you're dealing with. Your plan at the outset needs to be flexible and adaptable enough that you can change it. In closing, first off, that's all I've got to say about plans and planning for this episode. It's quite enough for today. But in closing, I want to speak to something that came up in conversation here recently with regards to my podcasting persona. <clears throat> Someone I know who listens to my podcast said recently that he doesn't recognize, perhaps, the tone with which I speak on some issues, some topics. And it doesn't sound like me. It sounds like a shtick. It sounds like I'm trying to be the next great conservative commentator. And I'll admit, I heard that and I thought about it and I just kind of like, really? Is that is that so? And of course, I'm going to keep thinking about it and I'll keep weighing and measuring, trying to monitor myself. Am I... Am I on a shtick? Am I being disingenuous? But I will say, I talked with my wife. I asked her, like, do you think, do you think I'm like being somebody else when I podcast versus who I am in real life? 
And she said, no, like, I don't, I don't think you're trying to be like extra dramatic. If anything, like you kind of tone it down a little, you know, some of these folks should hear the version my wife hears. It's a, it's a lot cleaner (laughs) actually sometimes depending on the subject. Uh, God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make it help me. It's suitable for him. You can pray for my wife, dear, sweet, patient, long-suffering woman that she is. Uh, she'll laugh at that, which is most of the reason to say it. But I just want to assure you, I mean, uh, my goal with this podcast, just between you, me, and the fence post, is to improve my communication, my way of relating, my way of thinking. You know, I, I don't see much value in apologizing for something I say. I think a more beneficial thing for my sake, certainly, but also for yours, and ultimately, most importantly, for God's glory, is not to apologize for something I would say, but to apologize if I meant it and I shouldn't have. I said it, I meant it, but it's not true. And I, I, I've thought about it, and I, I realized that's not true. The thing that I said was not true, and it wasn't helpful, and it wasn't necessary. You know, that's the way we should be thinking about these things. But, you know, almost... <clears throat> Before you can get to that point, you almost have to be willing to take a, a good, long, hard look. You, you, you don't necessarily have to say everything foolish in your head out loud in order to reckon with it, but you might need to say some of the things out loud in order to get counsel, right? I mean, that's going to be a precursor to every battle plan that involves advisors, you have to say, okay, here's what I'm thinking, All right? They're here, here, and here. Anybody have intelligence on these positions, strength, armament, who's leading those guys? What's the weather going to be like on Wednesday? Also, what are their objectives and what are our objectives? What are our capabilities? What are their capabilities? All right, here's what I'm thinking. Anybody see anything wrong with that? Yeah, I do. What about X, Y, and Z? Hmm. Hadn't thought of that which is the whole reason why you're here. (laughs) That's the whole reason why I'm asking for your advice. But I think there's a perfectionistic bend that if we are not careful, can get in the way of getting as close to perfect as possible. You know, my boys and Evelyn had a piano recital this past Sunday, and I missed it. I was working. I was very sad to miss it. But my wife sent me, video from her phone of each one of them as they played their pieces. And as I'm listening and I'm watching, almost every one of our kids made some mistake or another as they were playing. You know what? That's all right. That's not the end of the world. Now, what do you do with that mistake? That's the question. What are you going to do with it once you've identified it? What would you go back and change, or next time, what are you going to do differently? That's the big question. How are you going to handle those oversights, shortcomings, missed opportunities, mistakes? That's where advisors really can come in handy. Who can say, hey, wait, what about X, Y, and Z? I got to leave it there, though. That's all the time I've got for today. My first day off, I need to spend some more time not sitting in this chair, getting up, moving about, doing some tidying up working on some laundry, et cetera, et cetera. 
resting in word. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.